This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysu. The unique blend of hunting, conservation, and the outdoor lifestyle. Delivered in an entertaining, informative fashion that only a veteran outdoorsman can do. DSC Campfires is brought to you by DSC, Conservation, Education, and Hunter Advocacy. Hornady, Accurate, Deadly, Dependable. Trigicon, Brilliant Aiming Solutions. Ruger, Rugged, Reliable Firearms. Burnham Brothers Game Calls, Calling His Calls Made. Double Nickel Taxidermy, Where Hunting Memories Are Preserved. Taurus, maker of the Raging Hunter and other fine handguns. Now here's your host, Larry Weissick. Well, welcome to another episode of DSC's Campfires with me, Larry Weissick, and I have a very special guest, fabulous artist, cameraman deluxe, storyteller, Trying to think of all the other things that he does, by golly, but most of all, as far as I'm concerned, the title I like the best is my friend, Jeremiah Bennett. Jeremiah, we're coming off of uh, a, a couple of hunts here that have been really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, first, well, we had uh, the Mescalero Apache elk hunt um, that, uh, that the DSC Foundation auctioned at the uh at the dsc foundation gala or gala whatever you want to call it and uh we did another um auction hunt for pronghorn at uh john eason's ranch out in clonch new mexico and took what uh a two-week two-week break or was it two or three-week break yeah about a, about a two-week break about a two-week break and and now we are in Ira Ann, Texas, hunting whitetail and, and mule deer. <laughs> exactly. In between that, unfortunately, my mother passed away. We were on the uh, 
a double T ranch over with hunting with Joe Reed with Nomad Hunts, and unfortunately right. all that happened, and I had to leave after really kind of the first day, and, and uh, we, we returned to uh, Double T, and i tell you what, sometimes I've had a love-hate relationship with white-tailed deer for a long time, and I think I was in, after a day or so, I was in the hate stage. <laughs> Man, they were, they were in that stage where it was just really, really, really difficult to tell just what they were doing. You know, it, it they, they, they weren't really, they didn't seem like they were in pre-rut, they didn't seem like they were in uh, peak rut, you know, bucks were running together, does still carrying fawns. It was just, uh, it was, it was really frustrating. Well, we were there, you know, to hunt primarily a, a mature buck. They've had some great deer on that place, and there are some great deer on that place. We uh, we passed up one nice, probably ten point. That's probably maybe in the one thirties or something like that. But yeah. absolutely beautiful deer. But he was also very young. Did that one afternoon, and then we did rattle. And that first day that we really rattled, it wasn't bad at all. We had several bucks come in. No, we had nine bucks. Well, out of the two days that we rattled, yeah. yeah. Well, no, the first the day. First, that's right. The, the first, first day, day we had, had nine, nine bucks. bucks. Yeah, we had nine bucks come in and. We had some of them that just kind of charged in. We had some of them that just kind of uh, took their time going in. And it's so very often the case with uh, white-tailed bucks, particularly mature bucks, there's a tendency for some of those older mature bucks to just kind of come in real slow and hang back. And it's kind of what happened with some of those. There, Well, there were a couple of those that you could see. You could see their body. You could tell they were big, mature bucks from where I was set up with the camera I couldn't even see the deer at all I couldn't see no. the racks, I couldn't see the body so we didn't get any footage of those but uh, you at least got to get a look at them through the binos we, we, we did, the, so very often some of those older bucks particularly early on and I think we're kind of in that early stage when those bucks were coming to horn yeah. they'll kind of come in and they'll stand behind a bush and they'll stand there and look and look and look and you won't even see an ear move you know, if, if you might, they might move in here, but that's about all that they do. And, and this one was kind of back here in the brush. I could see that one buck's antlers. And there was a, a couple little holes where I felt like I could have put a, put a bullet through had I simply been hunting. But the part of that purpose of our being on the property was to try to, to get a good show for Trigicon's World Sports and Field for... Yeah. Uh, for uh, nomad hunts for for Joe Reed and and shooting a buck back in the brush really wasn't going to cut what we needed to do so no. kind of backed off and didn't do it. No, we needed we needed good footage or it was you know not useful. So. No, you, t- to me one of the highlights of that hunt was spending time, of course, hunting with you like I dearly love doing spending time with Joe, but also we had Kevin and Nikki McPherson in camp from Florida and actually uh. they. We did a podcast. I did a podcast with those two, and they made that hunt, as far as I'm concerned, extremely very, very special. I tell you, no, they, those those two were something else. I've never, uh, I've never seen a young couple that were more eaten up with hunting and each other and spending that time together in the outdoors and hunting. I've never seen anybody more eat up with it than those two I, and i loved it yeah i thought it was great 
It, it was it was awesome. It it really was. I I enjoyed and appreciated every moment we got to spend with them. Kevin shot as you may remember from the from the episode that we did with them. Shot a really nice deer. And, uh, I think had ten points with maybe three kickers and his best deer ever. And then earlier in the year, I think Nikki had shot a just unbelievable deer for Georgia or Florida. Yeah, in Georgia. Yeah. And, and uh, so best deer ever, and she comes to the to the ranch there and ends up shooting a, a buck actually that you and I passed up that first morning that we yeah. hunted there. It, it was yeah. a really nice ten or eleven point about. Yeah. 23 inches wide and really nice buck. Oh gosh, I mean, looking back now, I, I can't think of anything I could have done better than pass that deer up to have this Nikki shoot that deer because I, I mean, it, it was so much fun watching those two interact once we yeah. got them on the, on the podcast episode, Absolutely. kind of ribbing each other about who killed the best deer. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> and she, she was. T- she was doing more ribbon than he was. Well, she shot the bigger deer, so I guess she had the right to do I so. Guess so. <laughs> I guess so. Poor Kevin. Oh well, I think I think Kevin was loving every minute of it as well oh, yeah. too, and absolute thrill and pleased for her as well too. But we left there and, and uh, headed over to uh, the Eastern Ranch, which kind of sits oh south of Iran. For those of y'all. If you want to look at a map, it's the, the Pecos River kind of divides the far western part of the state of Texas to, from the rest of the state. And the Pecos River has kind of has been, for the longest time, kind of the border of mule deer. Now, there are a few mule deer that have moved over, and then, of course, mule deer in the Panhandle and in the Sand Hills, uh, kind of along that New Mexico border where, uh, where Texas and New Mexico meet and kind of take a turn to the left. And uh, But... For the most part, the mule deer in, are in the Trans-Pecos, and then, of course, up there as well, too. Yeah. Those are de- true desert mule deer down here. They're yeah. the, the crook-eye subspecies, which have a tendency to be a little bit smaller and, and all those kind of things. But uh, to me, they're, they're so much fun to hunt. I, I hunted, started hunting them a long, long time ago. And to be here on this ranch was something really special. I was here in February with Luke Clayton and Jeff Rice when Luke shot a really nice deer. And, and so... Finally got an opportunity for me to come hunting. And, but it's an interesting hunt. <laughs> Man, they have, uh, they've really, um, they've really handed it to us, Larry. It's been, it's been tough. It's not been easy. This is, this is big country. It is. It is absolutely gorgeous country. We finally got a chance to walk around a little bit this morning and, uh, off in the distance saw some, some bucks and then. We found one buck the other morning, and as much as I hate to say it and admit it, I missed that buck three different times and shot over him each time. It always amazes me. I, I mean, I've been shooting deer for a long, long time. I've got, the, as far as I'm concerned, the best equipment. And This happened to be a, a Remington Mountain Rifle 700 and a 280 Remington that I absolutely love. Shooting 150 grain Hornady ELDX. Uh, precision hunter and then got a Trigicon AccuPoint scope on them. And to me, that's an absolutely fantastic combination. Extremely accurate. Absolutely. But it's where the barrel is pointed when you pull the trigger where the bullet goes. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> and this evidently, true. when I pulled the trigger, I was holding that barrel just right across the top of that deer's back because the footage that we looked at, all three of the shots that I did went right over his back. They did. They did, but 
you know, it happens. It, it happens. It, it, it does happen. You try to learn from your mistakes, but over the years I've, I've learned how to, to, uh, to see where the crosshairs are, where mm-hmm. the trigger breaks. And I'm, I'm not sure what I was doing wrong. Maybe I was just excited because it's been a long time since I've had the chance to take a mule deer or something I really wanted to do. So maybe that's the reason I, I kind of well, got off center a little you bit. Were, you were breathing a little hard. <laughs> I could hear you through my earphones on the camera. You got excited. But you know, you know, Larry, if you ever stop feeling that way, it's time to hang it up. You know what I mean? If if I ever get to that point and to the my advanced age that I have now, I don't think it's ever going to happen anymore. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'll tell somebody I'll just go play golf or something. But yeah. you know, t- to me, that's all part of hunting, and yeah. and I I love that excitement. And if I didn't have that excitement, but you're right, I'd, I'd go find something else to do. Yeah. But we got lucky after that, and uh, this you know, there's certain areas of Texas as along the kind of the eastern range of, uh, of the mule deer where you have mule deer and whitetail together in, in parts of eastern Colorado and, and Kansas and, and uh, in Montana and Wyoming. Oklahoma. And Oklahoma and down into Texas. Panhandle of Oklahoma. Yes, Panhandle of Texas. And down on into Mexico. And one of the beauties of it is, is here on this particular ranch, with the eastern ranch, I was able to buy a hunt for both a whitetail and, and a mule deer. And uh, we found a pretty darn decent whitetail. We did. We did. He kind of came slipping in, and and uh, Jeremiah got some absolutely great footage of him as it came in, and a little bit older deer. Uh, well, I think he had he had well he had eight points. He's probably in one thirties. Yeah. The deer, for the most part, in this inner area of the Transpecos, they you, you don't very often see great big antlers. But one of the things about this ranch is. It's well taken care of. They do have a feeding program. And, you know, beyond that buck, since I shot him, we've seen some much bigger bucks. We have. We have actually saw a couple couple of really good ones this morning. That one buck, I mean, one was a really nice 10-point, a little bit ear-wide, probably maybe a little bit wider. Yeah, but he was so heavy. Oh, gosh. He kind of just got to set up high a long time. Yeah. And then there was an 8-point with him that uh, really looked like a, antlers could have been on the frame of a mule deer that was probably, oh, at least, I'd say, 20 inches outside. But yeah. his tiny length. and Really tall. Oh, gosh. He was absolutely beautiful. I, w- I wish we could have gotten some, uh, I wish we would have could have gotten some closer footage of that deer. They were mm, in the neighborhood of 585 yards. Yeah, I, I remember ranging them. You asked how far he was. Yeah, the, I was ranging the 10 point, who was below the the big eight point that you saw, and I think the 10 point was uh, 585. Yes, sir. And I never ranged. I never ranged the eight point, but he was up the hill a little bit further. Than he was. He just kind of. He just happened to walk almost skyline across a, a kind of an open area, and yeah. that's the only reason I just happened to be. I just caught movement up above the one we were looking at, and, and uh, saw that one. But I mean, that deer was very, very impressive as far as just unbelievably big, as far as I'm concerned. For here, what impressed me a lot, though, is. Once uh, the, the, we got the deer back into camp and got our photos and all that kind of stuff, and we were taking care of the meat, was how absolutely fat these animals are here. And heavy he was. Y'all heavy. weighed him. We did. We weighed him. And normally a deer in the Transpacus, talking about white-tailed deer, 
they tend to be on the smallest side, and if you shoot one that weighs 140, 150 pounds, total intact, you've taken quite a big animal. And this one, I think the... 184. 184 pounds. This is the John and his brother Jeff on the ranch here or on the uh, uh, MLD, which is the managed land permit, which allows them to take deer a long, over a long period of time. And the number is based upon what that population allows. But part of that is you have to age and weigh and measure and all those kind of things, you know, for, for a good record keeping type of thing. But 184-pound deer for the Trans-Pecos of Texas on a whitetail, that was pretty impressive. Very, very impressive. Or it was it was to me. Well, it, it was to me, too. I've I hunted a few deer out here in this Trans-Pecos area of Texas, and including the little Carmenesis whitetail, which lives down, down the, kind of along the edge of the, what we call the Big Bend area and, and above 4,500 uh, feet of elevation. <clears throat> Those little deer depending on who you talk to, are comparable or smaller than the little keys deer of uh, Florida. I've, I've shot some in Mexico and also in a very kind of southern bend of Texas that weighed 45 pounds field rest. So, I mean, well, Larry, how do, they, how do they compare to the coos deer of the desert southwest and down in Mexico? To, to me, the, the ones that I've taken and the ones that I've seen are smaller than the coos deer that I've are taken in, in, like in Sonora and, okay. and the, that I've seen taken in Arizona and New Mexico. Well, how about their antlers, like the mass? I know that, I know that coos, you know, I, I, I guide and hunt in Mexico every year, and we, we have some hunters that take some really good coos deer. And, uh, you know, those coos deer down in Sonora they generally put on a lot of mass, you know, they'll be real palmated, real massive. And, and a lot of times they throw a lot of non-typical right. kicker points and stickers and stuff like that. So, uh, how, how does the, the Carmen mountain whitetail compared to those? As a whole, they, they, they tend to have smaller racks. Now there, there's a few areas down in Mexico, uh, that I've seen some deer that look like really good coos deer mm -hmm. antlers terms of mass and yeah. dying length and all that kind of thing. You don't very often see non-typical points on it. Ron Spomer hunting with Steve Jones down in the Shinati Mountains probably about, oh gosh, four or five years ago. So that would be, you know, 2016, somewhere along through there, 15, 16, 17, shot an absolute monster for a, a carminescent species. They did have drop tines and had all kinds of stuff. It's one of those, I'm not very... Not very often jealous of somebody taking a deer, but Homer, <laughs> if you're listening, you sorry scoundrel, you shot my deer. <laughs> but, uh, uh, it, that's kind of a dream deer, as far as I'm concerned. But I'm thrilled that Ron got him, you know, kind of thing. But yeah, uh, but they are the, the the interesting thing about the little then they call them fantails quite often. And the interesting thing about them are is like coos deer, their ears tend to be a little bit larger than comparative to their body. And if you've ever seen a coos deer run, you know how whitetail will throw his flag up, tail up, yep. straight up, and flag. Yep. Coos deer will bend that curl tail, it, curl it over the yeah. top of their back, kind yeah. of thing. Now with the little Carmenensis deer, their tailbone from from where it attaches to to the tip, just the bone itself, generally is over an inch or longer than either a coos deer or most whitetail, red really? whitetail. So that's, they throw that's their tail up. They throw it up like a regular whitetail. Yeah, it it looks like it's 
14, 16 inches yeah, long. It's just it out. Yeah, yeah, it looks like a you know a, a sailing ship kind of thing. Wow. So they're really cool in, in that respect. But like I said, generally they don't produce very big antlers, but and they're found primarily in in Texas and down in a little bit in New Mexico as a subspecies. And they're found at 4,500 feet of elevation and, and uh, above. And a lot of times in that country down where you have, we'll have both the Texas subspecies of white-tailed deer and mule deer. And you'll find the, the Carmenensis species, the very tip, kind of like you do with coos deer quite yeah. often. White-tailed, just regular white-tailed in a band down below it. And then you'll find mule deer kind of into that band, mm-hmm. but then down yeah. the lower country more so than anything else. Yeah. Well, I, you know, growing up, Growing up, I spent quite a bit of time hunting with my dad and my uncles out in uh, Black Gap, wildlife management area. Um, th- does that area have Carmen Mountain Whitetail also? Yeah, there are little pockets all in through there. Are there? Yeah. Oh, okay. That do have the little Carmen deer. Because it borders Big Bend. I mean, oh, yeah. It, it joins Big yeah. Bend. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, that's that's a unique area. I got to spend quite a bit of time there years ago. We played around with uh, doing deer ne- mule deer nutrition and reproduction work on the Gap, and then also I spent a lot of time uh, there working with the Big Horn Sheep Program. And uh, to me, that part of West Texas that's always been one of my favorite areas in the world. Quite frankly, yeah, it's a really cool place. It, it is. It, it's, it's unique in every way. And years ago, when I first started going down there, which was a long, long time ago, a lot of ranchers were still in the sheep and goat business, which meant that they really controlled predators. And when they did away with the uh, wool and mohair incentive thing, people went back to cattle, and they quit back, quit doing as, an intensive a program on predator control, primarily for coyotes, bobcats, and especially mountain lion. Yeah. And over a little period of time, they're not very long at all, when they quit killing those predators, that deer population took it on the chin really, really bad. Suffered. Yeah, and now it's kind of reached an equilibrium where the, you know, those places that, that uh, do a good management program all the way through, which includes predator control as well, yeah. too, those deer have come back pretty strong. Interesting mule deer down there, too. I mean, those, I've, I've seen numerous bucks there many years ago that were 30, 32 inches wide, big old heavy yeah. horns, and, you know, and all those kind I, of things. You'd I never campers. saw any, I mean, I never saw any that wide. Yeah. But, I mean, I remember, you know, I didn't know what I was looking at then, but I know what I, I, know what I was looking at now, right? And, uh, you know... I was maybe 14 years old then. We just, we used to just load up and go out there. That was back when you could hunt the gap for javelina. Right. And you didn't have to have a special draw or no, anything. No, you no, just no, go no, in there no. and hunt javelina and camp in the primitive campsites along the river or whatever. And we, we went for the fishing as much as we did for the hunting, but it was just more about the camaraderie, you know, with my dad and my uncles and their friends and, There'd be a group of us, you know, eight to ten of us every time we'd drive out there. But, but I, I mean, I remember seeing bucks that were in that 170, oh, yeah. 170 to 180 range, you know? Absolutely. And like I said, I, when I saw them at 14 years old, that, oh, the, that's just a huge buck, you know? But now, you know, after hunting mule deer for many years now and guiding desert mule deer down in Mexico and everything, 
you know, I, I know now what I was looking at then. There were some really good deer out there. Well, well since you brought up the, the you, you've been guiding down in Sonora, Mexico. Yes, sir. Tell me a little bit about hunting down there. That's another one of my favorite places. I shot coos deer and mule deer and was blessed to take one dead or bighorn there a few years ago. But tell me about hunting mule deer in that part of Sonora. Man, it's, uh, you know, I, I tell all my friends, you know, they, they always ask me, oh, yeah. hey, man, what's it like down there, this and that, and I, and I tell them it's as close to the wild, wild west as you can get in 2020, you know, I mean, it's, we're, you know, the ranches that we hunt, we don't, we don't do any um, high fence stuff. All of our stuff is is low fence, free range, and uh, you know, hunting the desert mule deer in Sonora is definitely different than hunting mule deer anywhere else. You know, in North America, it's it's. Uh, I mean, for one, it's. I mean, it's desert. <laughs> I mean, there's. And it's huge expanses. Where do you find mule deer there? I mean, as a, uh, I know there's all kinds of. High country, low country, you know, yeah, all those you kind don't, of things. I mean, you don't typically you don't typically find the mule deer down uh, up in the high country. I mean, that up in the up in the rollers and in the mountainsides. Right. That's that's your coos deer country, and m- most of the mule deer stay down in the in the flats. You know, down in the choya patches and and the saguaro, you know, the saguaro right. flats and stuff is where most of your mule deer stay. Um, you know, they tend to, they tend to like the native grasses down there. They, they don't, they don't typically gravitate toward the buffalo grass that a lot of the ranchers plant and grow for the, for the cattle and whatnot. But, um, yeah, they, they, they stay down in that flat country where, where the choya, where the big choya patches are. And of course, you know, we do supplemental feeding, you know, protein, uh, for the, for the mule deer, um, basically year round and so um they've they've really gotten accustomed to the protein and 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 it's 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 done a lot of good for the for the mule deer down there no doubt i've been down there a few times i've taken a couple decent mule deer down there my goal is still one of these guys to go back down there and kill a 200 plus kind of deer which they're probably more of those quality deer in sonora than there are Percentage-wise, than there are any other places. There, you know what? There, right now. there are. There, there really are, but they are not. They're not behind every cat. No, 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 no. And it's just like, um, you know, I mean, we've been struggling here on this ranch for mule deer. We have we've gotten our tails kicked. We've been struggling. I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah, we've been struggling here, but I've, I've seen it the same way in Mexico, on. You know the ranch, the ranches, or the ranch that I, I call it my ranch. It's right. not my ranch, but it's the ranch that I guide on every year. I know that ranch. Uh, my my guiding partner and I, we've been guiding that ranch for seven seven oh years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we 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 basically went and learned that ranch. Um, Brian Brian acquired the ranch. He had never been out there 
I mean, he had gone and looked at it one right. time. But we had never been there. He sent us there. He goes, well, okay, well, this is where you're taking your hunters. So we've, we've been guiding that ranch every year since then. And every year we learn a little more and a little more and a little more. But, I mean, we're, we're talking 65,000 acres. You know, that's and a it's, chunk of change, and they, I would suspect there's not a road every quarter mile. Either. No, there's not. No, there's not. But they, you know what? In the last couple of years, they've built some new roads, and it's been really nice having those new roads. And they cut some roads through some really good, really good deer country, and uh, we've we've done really good off of those roads. But I mean, you know, we all. Um, down there in Sonora, we all we all like to climb up and find a knob and sit up there in glass and glass up a big giant buck and figure out how to get to him and kill him. But, right. You know, ninety five percent. I would say, I would say ninety five percent of the giant desert mule deer that get killed in Mexico get killed off a of high rack. Right. We don't all like it to be that way, but. It is what it is. Well, you know, to me, you're dealing with 65,000 acres. Yeah. Think about that. That's huge. You know, and that population of deer, from what I've seen there, it's not a deer per acre. No. You know, there's a relatively low deer density there. Yeah. And so the only way to cover some of that is to spend time driving. And then, like you say, to me, part of the fun as well, hunting mule deer and I love hunting coos deer, it's just find a place and just start glassing kind of yeah. thing. And we, in the, I, we've got another mule deer hunt coming up here for too very long on the uh, uh, ranch up in Snyder, the Hargrove ranches that I dearly love. Great people, Craig Archer and his brother David. I, I, I can't wait to get you up there with me no, as well, too. I, yeah, I've, I've been... I've been hearing about this place. I can't wait to get there. Last year when I was there, I was just using a, a Burnham Brothers C3 prairie to call, long range uh, jackrabbit. And I was using just a blowing, not a gruff, just a wah, wah, wah kind of sound. And doing so, gosh, over a period of a, a week, I mean, the, the largest group that I called up of mule deer came in together. There were 37 mule deer in one bunch. We, we called wow. them off a big wheat field. Uh, we had a problem with poachers over <laughs> on one side, and there was a vehicle over there. And we pulled up over that uh, to our side of the, of the field, and Craig says, call, them, call those mule deer away from here. And I thought, you know, there is a possibility that this could yeah. happen. Yeah. And I started calling just a little bit, and within moments, we had all 37 bucks, does, fawns just come charging our yeah. way and uh, milled around. And we were in a high rack where you could see things. Yeah. So, again, we were large ranch trying to cover large amounts of country. Not that we're hunting out of it, but we're using it to transport and, and spot and then, you yeah. know, stocking kind of thing. But all those mule deer came running out there. Now, you use a different type of call, though, I and I know, but y'all do call mule deer down there. You've called up some oh, really yeah. big bucks. I've called in some really big deer. Now, most, uh, uh, you know, my my guiding partner, the guy that I always guided with on that on that one ranch, he called in a lone buck for his client. This has been three years ago. But this, the, the buck came to the call by himself. himself. Generally, generally when you're calling deer down there, it's a, it's a, it's a timing thing. And, and I've seen, I've paid really close attention to it over the past few years. Right. Since we started calling, cause we haven't always called down there, but since we started calling, 
I've paid attention to it, and it's 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 very very um, determined by what stage they're in as far as the rut goes. And I don't know if it's a hormonal thing with uh, with the does after they've kicked the fawns off, right? Because the call that we use is a fawn in distress bleat, and it's a mouth call, right? Um, but generally speaking. When you're doing your your call setups, you're calling and you're pulling the does to you. And if they are playing all that maternal instinct, yeah. And if they're getting close to being an estrus, well, guess who comes dragging yeah. up the rear? I mean, generally it's the does, and then they drag the bucks in behind them. But you know, Johnny, he um. He called in a giant for his client, uh, I think, three years ago. It scored 207. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's and a it giant. And came in all by itself. I'll be darned. All by itself. It just came to the call. So um, the, 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 calling, the calling aspect has really changed the game for us down in Mexico because take the ranch that I was telling you about, for instance, you know, 65,000 acres, 60,000 acres. Um, there's a huge expanse of that place that is, it's not, it's all flat on one end and we've got some, we've got some, we've got some peaks and some knobs on the other end where we can climb up in glass, but we can only see what we can see from there. And everything else is like an abyss of brush (laughs) and cactus and, you know, and the, the, the program that we've always done down there is we always go climb first thing in the morning. We glass for an hour and a half, two hours. If we haven't, you know, if we haven't managed to glass up something that we want to go try to stalk and shoot, then we bail off the hill. We get on the truck, get in the high rack, and we high rack. Well, there's, I mean, there's no telling how many hundreds of deer you drive right past oh, them that, that you never see because it's so thick. Right. And when we started calling, that's when I really realized how many deer were actually there. I mean, when we, the first year that we called down there, I'm trying to remember the numbers. I believe we called in 35 bucks golly on the first day and I was so my boss Brian Bundert he rolled into camp and he's like hey I'm gonna hunt with you guys I'm gonna help you guys out for a couple days he he just kind of makes the rounds right right all the camps you know because all the clients like to see him all day he's such a fun guy absolutely and uh he he rolls into camp he's like hey I'm uh I'm gonna be in camp with you guys I'm gonna help you I'll help you guys out. It's like, great, you know? So he gets on, he gets on the rack with me and my client who hunts with me every year down there. He won't hunt with anybody else. Love the guy. Um, he goes, we're going to go calling. And I'm like, what? He said, we're going to go call these mule deer. And you think, <laughs> and yeah, just, sure. I'm like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. And he goes, he goes, no, man. He goes, no. Watch, watch this. And after the first two stands, when deer literally converged, they, they were trying to jump in the back of the truck. 
spit on some of them from the high rack attached to a pickup truck and uh, I just I whipped my phone out literally I could have spit on some of them from the high rack attached to a pickup truck and uh, I just I whipped my phone out and I said hey man you call I'm gonna video and I just started right. videoing all this stuff it was unbelievable it was unbelievable now, granted, we have not since that since that first year, we have never had another year like that. Right. As far as calling goes, but there is a there is a point within the season where it's like a switch. Yeah. And it works. Yeah. And it you you'll start call, you'll call a deer in here and there once in a while, but then when when it when it switches. It's on, and they're they're coming, and I don't know what it is. I just think it's a, I, I, I just think it has it's something hormonal to do with the 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 the, um, the stage of the rut and all that stuff. Um, I mean, I can't explain it. I'm not a biologist. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not but, sure a biologist. Ted. It's like as you're talking, I'm thinking about rattling for whitetails, and I. But some other time we'll talk about rattling from mule deer and all that kind of. Thing. But there, t- there are days where you think it's absolutely perfect. It's, you've had a cool front blew yeah. through, you know. Maybe it rained a little bit. The winds have slowed down. The timing is right to where the does are starting to come in. The bucks seeing scrapes everywhere. You've seen fights. You get the antlers together, and nothing happens in that perfect situation. Or you may see a buck three hundred yards away. He's kind of standing there, like you just totally oblivious to anything and you know he can hear you yet you can come back in two hours later and that buck will come at a dead run out of nowhere as as others do so there is a switch that does that kind of thing and i suspect the the calling is somewhat similar to that well it has to be i mean it has to be i've just i've observed it now for several years in a row where you, you know you you want to reach for that call, right? You know, because it's been so good to you, right? In the past, and you pull it out, and you blow it, and you blow it, and you blow it, and you blow it, and nothing. Well, what's the deal? I mean, have they done wised up to the call? And and you go for a couple of days, and then next thing you know, oh, here comes one. Oh, I called this deer. I called that deer, and then it just starts. It's it's just so weird. It's it's like a you timing is everything just like rattling and all that if it's not the right time it's not going to work the way that it will work when the time is right right hard to explain hard very hard but to me it's one of those things you you got to try you got to again as you were talking i was remembering last year on the hard grove over a period of five days probably I probably called up close to 200 mule deer of young bucks, medium-aged bucks, one or two old bucks. The only blasted mule deer I didn't call up that I really was the one I really wanted. Yeah. Are <laughs> you are you telling me? Are you telling me that I'm going to get to film 200 plus mule deer? I, I would hope so. But well, I'm wow. kind of you know I'm kind of figuring between you and me. Uh, with you calling and me calling, we'll, we'll try different techniques kind of thing. Well, I'll and, tell uh, you this. Um, this has been three, nah, 
Well, three and a half, almost four years ago, um, Aaron Nielsen uh, bought a bought the mule deer bought a mule deer tag on the uh, on the Navajo yeah. reservation. And man, we were struggling up there. We were really struggling. We were chasing big deer stories all over that reservation. And that reservation's huge. It, it is right. It's it, huge. It, it, covers, it covers two states. Yes. We're all over that thing looking for looking for a big deer. And uh we were struggling to just find a deer, let alone a big deer. And I went to digging through my stuff and I found that I found that damn call. Right. And I I told him, I said, Aaron, you ever use one of these? What does that thing do? He kind of looked at you. He's like, what does that thing do? Yeah. And I'm like, I think we need to use this. And I started blowing that. Well, I was running a camera and blowing a call at the same time. And, man, we started calling in deer. Oh, my goodness. And uh, I actually actually called in the buck that he ended up killing. It wasn't wasn't the buck that we were there for. You know, it wasn't the one that we'd gotten numerous trail cam pictures from different people and it, you know a lot of times you go chasing stories you know what I mean but it was it was a really good buck and we we got it done on film it was it was a great hunt we got some really cool stuff on film out of that deal made a good show out of it but uh it works it works in Mexico it works yep. in New Mexico yep and we're gonna see if it works in Texas here <laughs> in about <laughs> Two and a half weeks. Two and a half weeks. Sure. Yeah. You know, over the years, I've, I've I've always carried one of those little Burnham Brother varmint calls, little predator calls, and uh, and I pl- I played around with some of the 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 yeah. they used to be had a call out called Khmer deer. Oh yeah. That was kind a of little the same, flat yeah, thing. little flat thing. Kind of does the same yeah. thing as that rubber band type Absolutely. call that you're talking about. But even with that uh, Burnham Brothers predator call, I mean, I've called up deer and. Uh, gosh, Wyoming, Colorado, New Mexico, uh, Texas, yeah. and and Mexico as well too. Just using it, so I'm I'm anxious to see. We'll tr- we'll try several different things, and yeah. and because uh, hopefully we hit that that particular hunt there just right as well too. That rut will be just beginning when we're there, and uh, we'll be kind of the last days before it kind of kicks off. So, you know, with a little bit of luck, maybe we'll we'll call in one. We'll have. Uh, I don't think you've, don't, you've ever met Jim McQuitt. Jim used to be the editor. I've heard of him. Shooting Times. I've heard of him. Heard long of him. Time I've, I've not deer, had the deer pleasure friend. of meeting him. Well, Jim's going to be in camp with us as well, too. He's hunting whitetails, and, and uh, I can't wait for the for the for all three of us to get together because uh, he's a pretty good storyteller at times as well, too. <laughs> um, I am so looking forward to it. I, I think I'm going to order a half a dozen of those calls. Maybe maybe Amazon can get them to me before we get up there. Well, well, you are. I think I'll, I'll I'll see what I can find. I may have one of those as well too. Well, you probably do. Well, I'll do some looking here before we get there. You know, at this time, I, there's so many different stories that you know I've told to each other, and yeah. un- unfortunately, the hour is late. We got a half a morning of hunting left before we. You know, I both have to get back home and. So hopefully we can find that old mule deer in the morning. And uh, but before we kind of close this thing out, and we'll reconvene this thing probably in about a week or two. And you know, I'll start to tell us other stories <laughs> of some of your hunts because yeah. you've hunted all over the world, 
Jeremiah, honestly, is a cameraman deluxe. He's hunted all over the world with a lot of different people over the years, and every place is in Africa, and you can't already name a country that he hadn't been to. And uh, Absolutely fabulous artist, but just a great guy to be around. So can't wait to get you back around the campfire. But before we get out of here, just want to remind everybody the 40th anniversary of the DSC Dallas Safari Club convention is going to be January 6th through 9th at the K. Bailey Hutchinson Center there in Dallas. Uh, not that far away at this point, and you can go to B-I-G-G-A-M-E dot O-R-G to uh, reserve tickets and to uh, learn more about everything that's going to be happening. Being the 40th anniversary, I spoke a little bit with uh, Corey Mason not very long ago, and there are going to be some absolutely great things happening this year. So, Jeremiah, I know you've been there in the past. Yes, sir. I know you and I are going to both be there. And if anybody else come by and visit, we're in, usually not too hard to find. So, uh, when you get to uh, to the DSC convention, and I'll remind you, don't plan on just being there for a day. It's a four day event for a good reason. Over eighteen hundred booths, all kinds of great things going on at night. Live auctions and and silent auctions and all those kind of things to where you can truly help support conservation in, in terms of the DSC's three-pronged deal is conservation, education, and hunter advocacy. And the, the, the need for those three has never been bigger, so we need your dollar support along with your, with your personal support. But Jeremiah and I will be there, and we look forward to maybe setting up a kind of a virtual campfire there. What do you think? be awesome i think so Looking too forward to it. we'll see everybody right there and we'll see y'all or here maybe you listen to us right here maybe not see us but you'll be able to listen to us right here next week on dsc's campfires with larry weisson thank you again so very much for watching thanks for joining us around the campfire to leave a comment or suggestion for an upcoming episode go to instagram at larry weisson outdoors please join me right here next week for another dsc, DSC campfires campfire. with larry weisson has also been brought to you by the texas wildlife association working for tomorrow's wildlife today trhp outdoors Kenetrek Boots for the trails less traveled. Boyt, the finest in hunting gear. Pyramid Air for all things air gun. And Ripcord, rescue travel protection.